The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. Good morning. If you would like to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and prepare for that in just a second. Um, as, you, as many of you know, we uh, have signed a, a little agreement to begin the process of getting into the new building, and we're really excited about that, and uh, it's, a, it's still a, a long process, uh, still some things to do, obviously, but just want to put that before you for a couple reasons. One, just to, to spend time just thanking and praising God. I mean, God has been so good, and you, you know the story two years and how all this has come together and everything else, but just spend time praising and thanking him uh, for this opportunity that he's about to give us. And then pray too that, that, that what we're doing with this whole building thing is, is all about him and, and all about how can we expand the kingdom of God in Tyler, Texas and around the world for his glory. That's what it's all about. And so, um, so I'm just very thankful for what God's done. And if you have any more questions or anything, please let us know. But we'll be communicating regularly now as we start to get the, the process of what that means for us as a church and what that means for all of you, being involved with, with lots of different areas and, and getting us ready for, for the move over there and for the building of it. So hopefully by this time next year, we won't be here, although I still love looking at myself. So anyway, um, we will be done with that. But anyway, um, so let's get back now to um, what we're going to do this morning. We're Begin, we're continuing our, our series in the book of Luke, and this is the sixth of, of many messages in this wonderful book of Luke. And, and I want to briefly kind of review why we're calling this entire study, Luke, the story of reality. And, and simply put, what is real is God and everything that is. And, and oftentimes we try and distinguish between the Christian world and what we call the secular world by, by thinking that the real world is a world without God and the unreal world is a world with God and we usually do this for good reasons we, we see all the sin and the degradation of the world um, that we have and we see and, and when then we look at a place like this where, where we're saturated with the gospel and, and we say that you know once we walk out of these doors well well that's the real world out there and this was kind of like the unreal world but what I want you to understand is that the beautiful thing about Christianity and specifically the gospel that we proclaim is that it understands the world like nothing else. Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it gets the world. It truly is what we call the real world. And yes, we do live in a world of sin and degradation. We live in a world where human trafficking exists, where babies are ripped from the bellies of mothers, where opioid addiction uh, and deaths are real where some be, uh, human beings actually hate other human beings simply because of the color of their skins. And I, and I could go on and on with different sin in our world. But Christianity, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer to these problems. It's what we call the real world, and that's a world with God. And so as we study uh, the book of Luke, I want us to see what real is. And that is the miracle of God becoming man, that's real. The, the miracle of a virgin birth, that's real. The miracle of angels visiting these lowly shepherds 
and to proclaim good news to the whole world that, that a Messiah has come, that's real. The beautiful but, but horrible death of our Lord and Savior and, and then his resurrection from the dead to defeat death forevermore, that's what's real. And then the lives, as we're gonna see, of men and women transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ in this book of Luke, that's what's real. And so that's what this book we are studying is all about. Look, Luke is the study of reality. And I just simply wanted to remind you what is real and also to remember this simple fact. It's a really simple fact, but when you start thinking about it, it'll change your view of everything. And it's simply this, if, if a God exists, which he does, then anything is possible. And, and do you think it's difficult for, for Jesus to raise the dead or to heal the sick or to walk on water or change people's spiritual hearts from death to life? It's nothing because there is a God and he is the God of the Bible. And because there is a God, he obviously sent his son for us. And so we can live in a reality that the lost world cannot. But we desperately want them to know this reality. And so we, we share this good news of Jesus so they will see that reality. Now, with that said, I just wanted to kind of rethink about why are we doing this study of reality, the book of Luke. And if you'll now just stand with me in the honor of reading God's word this morning. And we are not going to read uh, the whole chapter this morning, all 52 verses. We're just going to read verses 27 through 35 this morning. So this is the word of the Lord. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, as I was like thinking and, and praying and studying this passage this week that I've chosen to cover today, and by the way, it's, it's a huge portion of scripture, so we're gonna zip through some of it, partially because some of it's very, uh, something that we know about and we've actually talked about a little bit at Christmas time, but as we look through this, a certain theme kept popping out to me, a theme that I've been thinking about and reading about and praying about, and that's the idea or the virtue of humility. And as I kept reading these 52 verses, I continually saw this virtue being brought out over and over again. And, and so today, I want us to see the big picture of this passage, which is this. A life of humility is at the heart of God's will for us who trust in Christ. A life of humility is in the heart, is at the heart of God's will for us who trust in Christ. Rankin Wilburn, who is a author, a pastor from California, but he wrote in this book, uh, The Cross Before Me, um, he noted that a thousand years ago, a man named Bernard of Clairvoy wrote, he wrote a treatise and it was entitled On the Steps of Humility and Pride. And he says this, he comments this way. He said, Christ had all the virtues but although he had them all, he especially commended one of them to himself, that of humility. And specifically when he said, 
in Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And he could have chosen any virtue, for he possessed them all in perfect measure. But Jesus singled out humility as the primary one we are to learn from him. And he goes on to remind us that, that Jesus gave us an example of humility by, by kneeling before his disciples and washing their feet. And yet, humility wasn't just something Jesus modeled alone. Humility is how God appeared to us in Jesus. I mean, humility is who Jesus is. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us. To become like him, therefore, is to learn to walk in his path. And in calling us to humility, what Jesus does is he calls us to himself. And so today, I want us to see this humility described in this portion of the book of Luke that, that we call the infancy narrative. And that's what we're finishing up today. And obviously because of its emphasis upon the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. But before we go on to actually look at the passage this morning, um, let's ask some sim- a simple question. Well, what is humility exactly? C.J. Mahaney, he defines it this way, honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness in our sinfulness. And Rankin Wilburn says, it's a recognition of the way things really are. It's a recognition of the truth about ourselves in relation to God, creation, and other people. And MacArthur says, he says, it's, it's a genuine recognition of complete unworthiness and lostness because of sin. The more a believer sees God as he really is, glorious and holy, the more clearly he sees himself as he really is, sinful and depraved. But I want you to know it's not the putting down of yourself. Sometimes we think humility is going, well, I'm just rotten, no good, and I stink, and I'm so on and so forth. Well, yes, that's true. Okay, we're all like that. But, but that's self-pity. That's not really humility. And the purpose of, of saying things like that about yourself is really you, you just want other people to kind of build you up a little bit. And that's the reason for that. And so that's not humility. That's not a, a realistic view of who we are. That's really, in a sense, pure selfishness. But only God in his holiness, in contrast to ourselves, shows us what true humility is because it shows us who we really are. Now, I want us to begin now to look at this passage and, and see how humility is described in this passage. And, and certainly there are plenty of other passages in scripture that deal with this idea of humility and describe it differently. But we're gonna obviously look at Luke chapter two this morning. So our first description I want you to notice is simply this, is that humility is accepting wherever God places you. We look with me at verse one of chapter two. It says that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, in, the portion, in this portion of Luke 2, we see our blessed Savior coming to earth in a baby's body. We see our sovereign God, and and what does he do? He moves Caesar Augustus to send Joseph and Mary to go to this town that in Micah 5, 2 was predicted where the Messiah would actually be born. 
the town of Bethlehem, uh, also known as the city of David. And he was to be born under this cruel rule of the Romans. The king of Israel, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he's born under the power and the authority and the decree of those who are oppressing the Jewish people. And we see the humility of the king of kings being born under the rule of the Romans in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And, and no baby obviously should be born in such a place, but especially the king of Israel, the savior of the world. And, but we know that the savior was born and he humbled himself to be born of a woman. Philippians 2 says that he was born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus accepted where he was to be born. He accepted the circumstances where God had placed him. There was no argument. There was just only obedience. And that is a mark of humility, accepting wherever God places you. And that's a question I, I often ask. And I think other people, when I talk with them, are, are you accepting where God has placed you this morning? Very simply, uh, practically, what job has he placed you in? What town has he placed you in? What are the circumstances that surround where he has placed you? But a sovereign God places us where he will be most glorified by our lives. And so you see, humility accepts where the sovereign God places us for his glory. That's the first thing. But notice humility is secondly, it, it's a joyful response to reality beyond ourselves. And I love this especially. Look with me at verse eight. It says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, consider who these shepherds were. These men were not considered very highly in the society in which they live because basically they were not able to, to be faithful in the Jewish ceremonial law. They had to tend the sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so they weren't thought of very highly. In fact, they were even thought of as unclean in the Jewish faith. Some have said that they were not even considered reliable and they couldn't even testify in, a, in the law courts. And they were even classified by some as, as despised people. But I want you to notice their response to this reality that was beyond themselves. Angels came to speak to them and to announce to them the gospel for the first time. And listen to what it says again in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, Jew and Gentile alike. This gospel is coming. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
And that word is a word that was used in the Greek Old Testament to indicate God. And he is Christ also, and that's that Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one that we we know about. And then he's also called Lord, and that is Jesus is Lord. That's a word, of course, that Luke uses later on to refer to God the Father, but also to Jesus. And so after more angels came, we see in this passage, to praise God, and then they left, they immediately went to worship the baby Jesus, the Savior of the world. And then it says in in verse 20 again that they returned to their fields and notice they glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, they encountered the glory of God and it moved them to worship, to, to humble themselves before God to praise him. And here's what happens. True humility when encountering reality beyond ourselves always moves us to humility. When I think about God's sovereign election and salvation, when I think about Ephesians 4, that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. When I think about what Romans 8 says, that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When you read that, the only thing you can do is fall on your knees before God and ask this question, why me? (laughs) And I'll tell you, I have no answer to that. Absolutely none. And when you recognize that God has called us, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, it is is mind-boggling to understand. My response to that kind of reality beyond myself is to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I can do no other. Humility then, as these shepherds helped us to see, is a joyful response to a reality beyond us. But thirdly, humility is being obedient to the law of God too. Look at verse 21 with me. And Mary and Joseph obeyed God by this way. They said at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or or two young pigeons. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 3 that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as we had learned when we went through the book of Hebrews in 2.17, he had to become like one of his brothers. In other words, like like his Jewish brothers. And Galatians 4 says that he was born under the law. And, And even though the scriptures are clear that Jesus never committed a sin and truly was sinless, he had to fulfill the law. He had to perform all the obligations of the law in order to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3.15 tells us. And so in verse 21, we see the humility of his parents being obedient to the law by circumcising the baby on the eighth day as the law instructed and being obedient to the word from the angel of God who who said to them, you must name this child Jesus. Now, why did the perfect one need to follow the law perfectly in, in circumcision? Well, we know it was the sign and and seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And every true Jewish male who wanted to practice the faith had to be circumcised. 
And circumcision represented or symbolized the work the Savior was to do on the cross to deal with our sin nature. It really was the first suffering for us. In a, a spiritual circumcision is alluded to, as we, you know, in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11, referencing what Christ did for us by his work on the cross. And so again, what do we see? We see such humility of the parents and the Lord willing to obey the law. And then we notice that after the circumcision, on the 40th day, Jewish parents, Leviticus 12 tells us, they were to take their firstborn to the temple for what was known as purification rites. And three things were required for them to do. And Luke mentions two of them. One was Mary's purification, which included a sacrifice offered in the court of the women. Women were considered unclean after birth. And so they had to do this sacrifice. In this case, Mary gave two turtle doves or two pigeons. And by the way, that indicated really her economic status. She was probably of a lower middle class to, to poor because she didn't have enough money to actually offer a lamb at this time. And then they had to pay five shekels, for, Leviticus 12 tells us, for the redemption of their firstborn son. And then they consecrated the firstborn son to God. But think about this, such humility, willing to obey perfectly. Jesus would later bear the curse of the law for us and he would set us free from the bondage of this, of sin, a bondage that we could never escape without his obedience. And so a truly humble person for application to us is going to follow and obey the word of God. And the question, of course, you and I need to ask on a daily basis is, where do we stand in obedience to the word of God? I mean, we know what to do, but do we obey? A humble person will obey. But fourthly, humility is being obedient to God's purpose for your life. Look with me at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and a glory, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of Midian Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, Simeon, we, we read here, well, he was a righteous man. He was called by God to wait for the consolation of Israel. Now, what was that? That was the comforting of Israel in reference to the Messiah. In fact, he was told, it says here, by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. Wow, that, what a great promise to have. You know exactly when you're gonna die, when you see the Messiah. It, his job was to pray and wait and be obedient to his calling. It, it was said of him in this passage that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that was a rare thing in this time period. Israel was not on fire, so to speak, for Jehovah at the time. What humility it took to obey God all of his life for this. I mean, can you imagine that uh, every day of your life, you're looking for the Messiah 
every day, day after day. And you knew you were told that once you heard that you were going to die, but nothing ever happened. But then one day, sensing by the power of the Holy Spirit that something was different today. I can't imagine that feeling. Something's different today. That God, the Holy Spirit is is saying to you something's different. And the passage says that he came in the spirit to the temple. And when Jesus was brought to him, he knew it. He immediately knew it. Listen to these words again in verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then these words, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The savior of the world has appeared. After all these years, his purpose has been fulfilled. And God greatly rewarded him for his humility and obedience. He was able to see and hold the king of the world, the one who would save people from their sins. Now, consider you and I. Do you know your purpose for your life? Well, let me, let me suggest it to you this morning. I, I'm not gonna be a prophet this morning, uh, but I'm gonna suggest to you what your purpose is, is what he's called you to do right now. Okay, how's that? He's called you to pray. He's called you to know and study his word. He's called you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your family and your friends and your neighbors. He's called you to be part of a local church fully invested in sharing your life, your resources for the fellowship of the saints. So this is where you are right now. So honor God by humbling yourself to be obedient to where he's placed you. It's really that simple and yet that profound. But fifthly, humility is being willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Let's look at verse 36 now. There was this prophetess, Anna, by the way, the name of my daughter, the daughter of Phanuel, but the daughter of Andrew, of the tribe of Asher. I'm not sure what tribe I'm from. What tribe am I from? Some German tribe, I think. So, But she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years for when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, Anna Anna was a widow prophetess in the temple. She had a special gift that God had given her of declaring and interpreting God's messages. She had been in the temple fasting and praying night and day since her husband died in. Most likely she was over 100 years old, but for 84 years we know she was fasting and praying. And I look at her life and I see a great godly woman who showed her humility by maintaining for years and years and years her devotion to God by suffering, really, for the sake of Christ. I mean, she wouldn't, apparently, you know, I don't think she would think of it as suffering, but look at her life, day and night, fasting and praying, day and night, fasting and praying for God's sake. She gave up everything, in other words, everything in the last years of her life to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simply put again, humility is being willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And then I want us to see sixthly and seventhly uh, together uh, because of time. We see humility is first of all, being obedient to our heavenly authority, but it's also being obedient to our earthly authority. 
This is the, the only story we have in the scripture of Jesus as a young boy. And many of you know this story already. Several families got together to go to, to the Passover feast. They went, went to the feast and then they began returning home. And they would go in a caravan. And sometimes the children would be at one point with the, with the with their mothers but some Jesus was of 12 years old so he was like in between should he go with the men or with the ladies uh, he, it was kind of messed up didn't know and so they they started coming back and they they realized then they had to camp overnight that Jesus wasn't present and so they panicked a bit the the passage tells us and they they go back and they search for him in Jerusalem and so after three days they find him at the temple talking to the teachers of the law listening to them and asking questions. I wish they had video back then. <laughs> when his, his parents then, they saw him and they were astonished and everyone is amazed at Jesus' answers and his understanding of things. And at this point, his parents were asking, well, why was he separated from the caravan? And, and he simply says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now I don't have time to really go through that whole passage. It is kind of interesting as to all the nuances there, but... But it, the passage goes on to say that the parents didn't really understand what he was saying to them. But here we learn very simply that, that humility is being obedient to our heavenly authority. And that's what Jesus was doing here. But then as his parents said, it's time to go, he willingly submitted and he went with them and he showed that humility really is, is submitting to your earthly authorities too. And again, there's much more to this, and, but I need to wrap up this morning. But, so I wanna end with these thoughts today. Every one of these descriptions that we've looked at this morning can be understood in light of Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And you've heard this verse before, but listen to it again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Two things kind of summarize all of humility. And one is simply humility is serving serving others for the glory of God and we saw this illustrated in the text this morning over and over again of people serving one another for you and I raising kids going to work every day serving your neighbor who might be a single mom with little help serving the church in capacities where you're gifted or even if you're not gifted to go back there and work with those kids that's great stuff. I've done it before, okay? It's great stuff. But you don't have to be entirely super gifted to do that. Regularly attending worship to encourage the saints every week. Giving financially the money that, that's not yours in the first place. Praying regularly and fervently. Not just regularly, but fervently for the church. And praying fervently for our families and for each other. And praying fervently for the state of the world. And, and sharing the gospel with people you meet, serving those that you, uh, you work with at work. Do you know, and you know this, how many hurting people there are at your workplace? And, and really, all they need sometimes is someone to give them a bit of encouragement. And that's gonna come and stem from the gospel. So serving in any capacity for the glory of God, that's humility. Because why? It places others above you. But I want you to notice secondly, and, and, and most importantly this, what we learn is that service is built upon what I'm calling the second way to summarize humility. And that is humility that we learn in Mark 10, 45, and that is sacrifice. 
It is built upon the foundation of Christ's sacrificial death for us. It's built upon the ransom. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, a ransom paid in the Jewish, Roman, and Greek world liberated slaves at prisoners of wars and others condemned people. It, it was the price paid to deliver people from bondage and captivity. And as we're going to see more and more in the book of Luke, this is the basis of what we call the great reversal, the reversal of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. It's a reversal to humility and humility is what it means to be great. And it's demonstrated perfectly in the story of the gospel. Jesus, the son of God who became human to live a perfect life of sacrifice. And I always marvel at this still. You realize where he came from. He came from perfection perfect everything's perfect to this world and you and I I know we don't we don't we think it's a pretty nice place to live but even flowers I've often said are tainted by sin we don't see the true beauty of that so he came from that to live a perfect life of sacrifice suffering and sorrow and then he took upon himself our sins bearing the payment for our sins and then he gloriously arises from the death from death to defeat death forevermore so here's the point strive for humility but recognize it's only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus our Lord and Jesus reminded us this he said humble yourself in the sight of the Lord James did excuse me and he will lift you up pray with me father thank you for your word thank you for this book of Luke and all the things we can learn from it but this morning God challenge us I pray and how we are living, do we see, Father, we hope us to see that the sacrifice you made for us on the cross is the foundation for us to be humble people. And God, I pray that we would leave here humble, but confident in what you desire to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash livingactschurch.